Hey everybody, welcome back to Kicking It in the Second Half, Kish YZ. Hope everybody's having a good new year so far. It's been a while since the last recording. Been kind of busy just waiting to get some content out for the podcast, but just busy making other content, especially with YouTube with a lot of editing going on for like sneaker content. If you're into the sneaker content, definitely go to the YouTube page. Look us up, Kish YZ, if you're not familiar with with what we do there on YouTube, but definitely uh, spending a lot more dealing of time getting that content out and getting uh, higher quality content for that. But the podcast still kind of stays the same outside of actually not putting the video footage on YouTube. I'm just going to do audio only for a little bit here and, and see how that goes as far as time management. Working on a new schedule uh, right now. The schedule kind of has me doing uh, the podcast about once every two weeks, but it's been a while, so I might have to split this episode up because it is kind of late. I started this later than I wanted to, and I'm not sure how I wanted to start the podcast after not doing it for a while. So I figure what's better than just to go over the standing so far as far as where you know the teams are actually at as of what was today, Sunday, January 7th. No, January 9th, going into Monday, January 10th. So I'm going to start with the East. Like I said, this might be a two-parter, or it might be two parts to the one episode. I'm not sure how I'm going to do it. If I get too tired, then I'll finish it up tomorrow, and I might publish it together as one episode or two two separate episodes. But I'm definitely going to want to start with the East, because that's how I have it written down in my notes. So just looking at the standings as of Sunday night, the Chicago Bulls, they are number one, 26 and 11. And uh, I do want to go over some details with most of these teams. You know, definitely the contending teams here. But just let me go through the standings real quick just to give you a refresher if you're not keeping up with that. I did write that down because I wanted to see where everybody was at on paper as well. So number one, Chicago Bulls are 26 and 11. Number two, the Brooklyn Nets, they are one and a half games behind. Miami Heat at number three, three uh, two and a half games behind. Milwaukee Bucks, two and a half games behind as well, sitting at number four. So it looks like there, the Miami Heat and the Milwaukee Bucks do have the same record. But uh, assuming Miami actually has the tiebreaker there as far as the matchups go. Number five, the Philadelphia 76ers, four and a half games back. Number six, the Cleveland Cavaliers, which that's a surprise. Kind of want to get into a little bit of that as well. Five and a half games back. So the top six there, they are fairly close um, to, you know, a lot of changing going on just in a matter of a couple games uh, for some of these opponents, depending on who loses and who wins. But going into the 7th through 10th, which is going to be that play-in tournament area as far as how they're doing that format, this would be year three of that. And and I'm still a, a fan of that because of, it makes the season competitive down to the last, basically the last week or so. You see less resting of players, in my opinion, as far as just letting them rest when it's uh, more of a team that should be competing, in my opinion. But you definitely get more competitive games there, and then you get those two to three extra games. I guess it's three extra games uh, per conference for the play-in tournament. But that's 7th through 10th, so let's start with 7th. The Toronto Raptors, who are six games behind the Chicago Bulls. So they're just a half game behind, sixth place uh, behind Cleveland. Eighth is the Charlotte Hornets, six and a half games. So just another half game difference between them and seventh. The Washington Wizards, seven and a half games back. Boston Celtics, eight and a half games back. So that would end the play-in tournament seating as of right now. 11th, uh, the New York Knicks, eight and a half games back. So they're actually the same amount of games behind as Boston, but Boston's holding the 10th spot. Atlanta, they're 10 games back. Indiana Pacers, 12 and a half games back. Detroit Pistons, 18 and a half. And that is a big drop off there. That's six games difference between them and the Pacers that are sitting at 13th. And then last for the East in 15th is the Orlando Magic, and they are 21 games behind. So that's basically where they're going to be all season long to end the season. 
definitely there in the bottom, the bottom two, bottom three. I mean, they're a rebuilding team. Jonathan Isaac, who, you know, from a fantasy perspective, if he was healthy, definitely be high on my list uh, to draft. But he hasn't had a full healthy season, I don't think, ever in his career. Maybe his rookie year, I can't recall now. But, you know, it's not planned so far this season. And I'm sure if he, they're going to try to get him back on the floor just because of the record and health purposes. They want to, you know, make sure he rehabs fine. But uh, I want to go back up to the 11th and 12th place seedings as of right now. That's the New York Knicks at 11th and the Atlanta Hawks at 12th. Two teams that were both in the playoffs last year. And to see them this far down is kind of shocking when you look at the standings. It's like, whoa, they're outside of the playoffs. They're outside of the play-in tournament. But like I said, being eight and a half games back for the New York Knicks and 10 games back for the Atlanta Hawks, from first, not a huge deal because we're not even halfway through the season. Like I said, you look at the Chicago Bulls record, 26 and 11. That's 37 games. Uh, midway is, is 41. So we're getting close. Another week will be uh, halfway through the season. They, I know they kind of want to use that all-star break as the halfway mark, which I never under, understood that because you're actually farther than halfway as far as how many games you've played in the season, how many you have left out of 82 but I guess it is kind of halfway overall if you consider throwing in the, the play-in and the playoffs and the finals, I guess, if you want to look at it that way. But as far as teams go, you know, they definitely try to hit that stride of being more assertive and more aggressive with their wins if they need to gather some, some wins. And every win counts for sure thereafter as far as teams figuring out which direction they're wanting to go and where they want to end up seating-wise. But then, yeah, the New York Knicks, eight and a half games, and they're having their ups and downs. I know they sat Kimba for a little bit. Then he came back because of uh, COVID protocols with some of the other players missing time, and, and Derrick Rose being hurt now. Um, you know, he, he's out, I think, for uh, COVID, that Kimba Walker, that is. And I think what they have there is is interesting because – I had high hopes for him going into the season just because of him being from, you know, the New York City area and now being in the hometown, kind of being that hero after having, you know, a rough go there in Boston that second year or the last year he was there, which I think he was only there for two years, if I recall. And, uh, it, you know, it just didn't start out the way I was hoping or anybody was hoping or planning, in my opinion. And then after that, you know, they made the decision to take him out of the rotation completely. Well, you you know, the team has had to do what they got to do to win games. If they're taking their franchise serious, you know, sometimes things just don't work out. And Kimmel was a good sport about it as far as being the type of player that doesn't cause off-court drama or drama within the team, within the organization. You know, he accepted his role, showed up to practice, did what he had to do as a professional. And then when it was time for him to be called upon, then he stepped up, stepped up big time, had some big games there. So... With him going out, you know, you definitely want to see him come back. And um, assuming like he would still take over the role of either uh, starting or coming off the bench. It's hard to say, but um, with Derrick Rose out, he should definitely have more opportunity to play. But the Knicks definitely have to get it together as far as consistency. I did like uh, R.J. Barrett's final shot to win the game over Jason Tatum. Two uh, Duke players going at it there. Um I, I couldn't be mad at either one of them there. But RJ, it's good to see him kind of break out of his shell as far as what he's had the first couple of seasons. Obviously, he's definitely having a better career so far than his teammate from Duke, uh, Zion Williamson. And speaking of Duke teammates from that year as well, uh, yeah, shout out to Duke fans because I am a Duke fan. I know uh, some other people aren't, so <laughs> I just leave it at that. But... um. Cam Reddish is having a great season for the Hawks. So this is kind of segueing into the Hawks, even though I don't feel like I'm done with the New York Knicks because I, I did want to say that Julius Randle, you know, um, if he gets his consistency under his belt, then he'll be fine and, and can help get the uh, the Knicks at least into the play-in tournament, no problem. They're just working out, you know, I guess their problems. I'm not watching too many games, so I can't actually see what's going on, but... It just looks like sometimes stat-wise from him, 
it's not as consistent as it was last year. I think I did see something where he's shooting a lower field goal percentage than he was um, compared to last year. So it's just something that hopefully he can work out and get and get better. And those players, like I said, when it comes to quote unquote the second half of the season after the All Star break, that's usually when uh, players start to refine and really tune in to their craft. And hopefully that is the case with Julius Randle. But like I said, going into the uh, the 12th seed, the Atlanta Hawks, Cam Reddish is having a great year. Finally getting to see him, and I was kind of predicting, I think, before the season started, that maybe they should consider starting Cam Reddish. And um, I, I can't remember who I left out because after last season, Kevin Herter was having a great season. And it does look like sometimes they're bringing Bogdanovich off the bench, which I'm not mad at that at all. But you do have DeAndre Hunter, who I thought would be a starter. But with injuries, you know, he's missing time. So Cam Reddish is getting plenty of run. And um, one thing about him that was underrated coming into the league was his uh, defensive prowess. I like how he's a great on-ball defender, and he wants to take on some of those tasks of guarding great guys. And I think that's where a lot of his value lives, is in his defense as far as what's going to keep him on the court the longest, followed by his scoring because the dude can score. But, you know, with Trey Young being on the on the floor when he's healthy, they're always going to use him as a primary option. And then you have the lob threats between Capella and John Collins. So, you know, it just comes down to the matter of touches for Cam Reddish when he's playing with a healthy group. But what keeps him on the floor, in my opinion, is the defense. And Atlanta Hawks have just been going through with, you know, different, like I said, Trey Young's been out with uh, COVID protocols and, and things. Uh, with the other teammates as far as uh, COVID too. I think Bogdanovich missed some time. Gallinari might have missed some time earlier in the season. I can't remember now, but I mean, he's fine now. Uh, John Collins missed a little bit of time. Capella, not sure if he's out right now for an injury or COVID as well. So it's just hard with the way things are because the mandatory delay as far as when players should come back after they've tested negative so many times, X amount of times, uh, even if they are asymptomatic. So that's just things that you have to deal with, which does affect team chemistry, but also just affect who's available for the night. And I do like what Cam Reddish is doing when he's taking advantage uh, most of the time of the opportunities that's given to him. But, you know, these two teams here that's sitting in 11-12, the New York Knicks and Atlanta Hawks, yeah, I, I don't see a reason why they can't get back up there. But obviously, in order for them to get up, to move up, somebody has to move down. And that's when it becomes a little bit tricky now that I'm looking at who's doing what and how consistent uh, can they be as far as the remaining teams, the top 10 teams. Let's go back into the play-in seeding teams right now, 7th through 10th, Raptors, Hornets, Wizards, Celtics. Uh, The Celtics, again, I can't stress enough, they're a big man issue, but uh, it seems like what the reporters want to focus on a lot is Jason Tatum playing with Jalen Brown. To me, in my opinion, I don't see that as a big problem. Could that be something that they could work on as far as making it a better fit? Sure, but I don't see that as your starting point. Like You could bring that up, but in my opinion, what they did wrong was not go after Nikola Vucevic, or at least they didn't get him. I don't know if... I can't say that they never did go after him because I don't know that for sure, but... Having a great quality big man would definitely have helped the team. And I do believe that they're trying to experiment with Robert Williams. And he is stepping up now at times because he has obviously X amount of minutes, like almost unlimited minutes. He should be playing 30 plus minutes a game. And I think he is playing around 30 something minutes a game. And the opportunities are there and it's a growing period. You know, hopefully he gets better during the season, but sometimes when players are still developing as far as having that breakout season, you don't know how that's going to be in the playoffs because that's a whole different stage and a whole different type of pressure on a player. So hopefully he does well there, but I think that's the biggest reason why they brought in Al Horford. So they definitely knew what they were doing there when they chose to go that route during the trade over the summer to take him from the Thunder and to you know, bring him back to the Celtics was to kind of help mentor and help be that vocal leader on the team. And I think it's definitely working. So what you don't see on paper or what you don't see in the box, uh, the stat box, the stat sheet, box score, 
my gosh, I was thinking box office. That's why I couldn't get that out. But what you don't see there is is the the leadership, and I'm sure that that's what Al Horford plays a big part in, right there, and keeping that balance and keeping you know the team straight as far as control of personalities and whatnot. So I do like what they did there, but sitting that tenth, eight and a half games back, you know, I think it it just depends if they can um, work it out to be more consistent with having uh, Robert Williams stay consistent. It looks like right now on and off. It's either Jalen Brown having a big game or Jason Tatum having a big game. But Tatum was another one of those players that got COVID again. He had COVID last season. Now he's got COVID again. And hopefully he can uh, remain healthy or get his win back. But Jalen Brown is stepping up. So I do like that dynamic of how if one's not having the best of games, you have the other one to carry a lot of the load. But in the end, it's all about winning games. So somebody has to... um, pull it together to step up a little bit more to help them get some games. But I love what they have there in general. But to say that they're going to make a deep playoff run, I, I think they're still missing that big guy uh, that they need. So if they're waiting on Robert Williams, to me, it's going to be at least another year. So we'll see what happens. That should be still a developing project in my opinion. But shout out to Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. i can see both of those guys being all-stars this year, um, especially after Brown put up that 50-point game. And I have both of these guys on my main fantasy league team, and uh, I'm glad I did that. The Washington Wizards sitting at ninth. Now, this is shocking because of not sure where they were going to be at the beginning of the season after they did the big rush trade, didn't bring in like a superstar name. But shout-out to the Tavern Geek because he tweeted out something. Tagged me in that about a month or so ago. Maybe a little bit over a month. I can't remember if it's right before Thanksgiving or at Thanksgiving. And uh, he said something about or asked me a question if Kyle Kuzma is an all-star. And at the time, I think somebody I responded before I did, some random person that saw the tweet was laughing. He was like, ha he's not the best on his team. Which at the time, you know, made sense. But I didn't want to go into it like that with that mindset. But I did respond with something about Kyle Kuzma needing to be more consistent because, you know, to, to say somebody's an all-star because they have a great string of games, you, you're kind of wanting to not fall for the hype too much. You want to see, okay, who are you playing and how can you stay at this performance or close to this p- performance more so than not. And looking at, you know, his last stat lines, like it's, he's playing, uh, ridiculous as far as what he's putting out his output and they're winning games along the way I think this last game he had like 22 points and 16 rebounds and I know people are like probably wondering well why couldn't he do that with the Lakers or you know the Lakers shouldn't have let him go but it's different you know the opportunities are different here and the the allotment of minutes and the minutes as a starter when you're asked to be third or fourth string at nights and you're limited on minutes and you're expected to come off the bench hot. Sometimes, you know, some players can't adapt to that that easily until they get familiar with what they're actually capable of. And here in Washington, Kuzma's has a lot of opportunity once again uh, to COVID and actually injuries with Thomas Bryant. Um, I'm not sure if Montrezl is is hurt, but also uh, Rui Hashimura. He hasn't played yet this season as well. So there's been a lot of minutes to go around for the bigs. Daniel Gafford's doing well at center, but Kyle Kuzma is definitely stepping up. And there are times, yeah, he might be the the highest scorer for the team. I think this last game that I mentioned with the double-double, he was the higher scorer. I think Bradley Beal only had 19. So it's cool to see that he has this opportunity and he's taking advantage of it. And I still don't think he'll be an all-star this season. I mean, unless he just, you know, has some ridiculous amount of games this next over this next month until the voting ends. I'm not sure when the all-star voting ends, but it probably runs through most of this month, if not all this month. But, um, you know, he's definitely getting there. If he can keep this up going into next year, you know, we can kind of see like a Julius Randle type of player. But like I said, once again, when some of these other players come back, We'll have to see if that changes the dynamic as far as how the team runs uh, plays through certain players or how many touches he may or may not get and how he fits as far as maybe taking uh, a back roll if they, if they need to pass to Thomas Bryant some more. But 
And, you know, the way it's looking, Thomas Bryant's going to have to fight for minutes and Kyle Kuzma should remain uh, where he's at if all goes well with the amount of minutes that he has. So I think the Washington Wizards potentially could be a team that might actually move down for considering the New York Knicks and the Atlanta Hawks moving up and taking somebody's spot. So that's one team for sure there that I would say that is on the border. That doesn't mean they're going to be down because anything can happen. I mean, injuries could happen. Uh, COVID can happen. So I'm just looking at potential teams. Uh, the Charlotte Hornets, they were shockingly uh, started off pretty hot this season as well. Uh, Miles Bridges specifically for me. I didn't see that coming. And maybe because I just didn't pay attention to that much. But, um, you know, he's, he's shooting the ball pretty well. Obviously, we know he can slash to the hole, get the rebounds, putbacks and stuff like that, dunks. You know, stuff stuff that are like highlight reel type of plays he's good for. But overall, you know, you have Terry Rozier who has kind of on and off games. But think what uh, what Tristan was saying at work, you know, when he feels like when Melo plays, then Terry Rozier plays a better game of basketball. Gordon Hayward's been pretty healthy for most of the go. So that kind of helps too because you really don't see that too much with him over the last seasons of his career where he actually stays healthy for most of the season. Um, So, you know, that's good for him as well. Not saying that he should be hurt, but it's just something that, you know, we've been accustomed to and not that he needs to get hurt, but just you would think like maybe load management or that, you know, playing a lot of games in a row as far as 30 minutes a game. Hopefully nothing happens to him like an Anthony Davis type of situation where it's like, oh my gosh, you know, it's about to happen here soon. And I don't want to jinx it. So hopefully it doesn't happen. But just kind of shocking of how this team is uh, able to pull off some wins here. I'm not sure if they're on a winning streak or a losing streak at the moment. I didn't really look that up. But I think I did look and see uh, that the Toronto Raptors, I believe, this might have been Saturday night that they're on a winning streak. Or it could be another team. Maybe that was Memphis that I saw. I think Memphis, when we go to the West, I think they were on a nine-game winning streak. For some reason, I thought the Toronto Raptors was like on a six-game winning streak or something. But either or, like they're doing really well. I did not think they would be up this high in the rankings. I didn't even know if they were going to be a play-in team, to be honest, because I thought the Pacers were going to be a little bit better. So I kind of had Toronto as as my possible like team on the outskirts looking into the playing team um, tournament, but they're doing better than I thought. I do like their rookie there, Scotty Barnes. I like what he does when the other players are out. haven't seen the games, but he's another player I have on my fantasy roster. I actually had him on my fantasy radar before the season started. Um, there were reports that he was like a, a Draymond Green type of player as far as his versatility and what he could do on the court. And we did see some of that when Siakam was out uh, earlier in the season and um, OG and Anobi had missed some time. So that's great that they had that in their bag because you never know when that might come in handy, especially down the stretch towards the end of the season or if they're in the play-in tournament, you know, just that X factor of a guy who can kind of contribute in other areas uh, if they need to or if they have to switch up the rotation or, or sit out a guy because he's having like a funky game and they need somebody else to step up. But uh, shout out to Fred Van Fleet. He's actually one of the guys. I mean, I don't know who I would take out, but um, he's actually one of the guys I think that should be an all-star. I, I hope I'm not venturing out too far to say that because I'm obviously like kind of thinking in my head, or I've been thinking in my head that somebody's going to be a new all-star for the East because Ben Simmons has been an all-star for the last several seasons. And he has yet to play. So he will not be an all-star. He probably won't even be uh, playing for Philly anyway. But um, DeMar DeRozan would definitely be an all-star. So he might take that spot. But just thinking of like newcomers or a new all-star, I thought it'd be like LaMelo Ball, which don't get me wrong. I think he was having a great season. But Fred is having a pretty consistent season. And it almost seems like he's having like somewhat of a breakout season. Like, if you want to mention somebody who's, like, most improved, like, if he can keep up what he's been doing the last several games, at least if what as far as what I've kept track of, like, that's amazing. 
which I always thought he had the potential to be the uh, first or second option on the team, especially after they dealt Kyle Lowry. So I'm like, you know, the way Fred was playing last season, and even the season before, right after they won the, the championship, it was like, this guy deserves more floor time. And then what he does now as far as handling the ball a lot more with without Kyle Lowry being there is great. So shout out to uh, any of the Raptors fans. I like what they're doing there. So that covers the uh, play-in tournament teams as of right now. So the top six and six is, like I said, the, sh- the Cleveland Cavaliers there is what's blowing my mind is because they're ranked so high. And I don't know. They're bringing back like the big ball. Like they're putting like Laurie Market in at the small forward, which I have no problem with that. I thought Chicago could have done something like that because the guy can shoot threes. He was shooting threes back in college. Uh, so that was nothing that would would have been a surprise as far as like scouting reports or drafting reports. I think that uh, that they're really using that skill there to help develop his game and, and find a, a good role for him. But then you have you have Kevin Love who comes off the bench now. So you like you have a passing big, but they start Evan Mobley and Jared Allen. And that's some big guys there. And and they keep that pretty consistently, which is also proof that they're sticking with what is working. And it's gonna be interesting to see if this works for the playoffs as well. But right now for the regular season, I mean you have Darius Garland running point. They just lost Ricky Rubio, but they did counter that by trading for Rondo, who joined the team in, uh, on Friday, I think. But his first game was Sunday, today, or last night. And I think that went well um, for him as far as what I saw stat-wise. They did play the Warriors, and that was the return of Klay Thompson. So shout-out to the Warriors fans there. And the Warriors ultimately won that game, but both teams were under 100. I think the Warriors scored 96, so... Not sure what happened there, but low-scoring game. But Clay scored 17 in 20 minutes. That's impressive. I think he had three threes. You know, Clay's ready to ball, but we'll get there uh, on the, on the western side. But um, yeah, the Cleveland Cavaliers, like yeah, picking up Rondo's a big big piece there because you're considering like you know the thing about playoff Rondo. We we all know about that and what he could do then. But just uh, keep that same formula of how they had the team structured. Like I said, they have Darius Garland there. Ricky Rubio Ricky Rubio got hurt, so they're putting in Rondo in that spot. Another guy who could be like a floor general definitely shows a leadership role and definitely make plays for others. So they're not lacking there. Then they had Colin Sexton, who's been out uh, for injury. And I can't remember if they're planning on him coming back this season or not. I think it said that he was out for the rest of the season. So that was a big blow there, but... For them to be able to sustain what they got kind of makes you think about, you know, when they were talking about trading, I think Colin Sexton for Ben Simmons this past summer. So maybe they kind of already knew in their heads what they needed to run to be successful. And we're kind of seeing that proof there that without Colin Sexton, just having Darius Garland there with a different, with another guard, that's just enough to get them over the hump and get them into being a playoff team again. You know, it'd be the first time they've made the playoffs without LeBron since LeBron left. So that would be interesting. And I think, you know, I, I have my doubts about them, but the way it looks, even if they fell into the play-in tournament, I mean, that's tough. Like I said, the teams would have to figure out a way to beat the, the two bigs. But in a single-game elimination as far as the play-in tournament, depending on where they're at, I think they can pull that off and, and win a game or two games if they need to to remain as a play play-in team. So that only comes down to injuries. And like I said, I don't wish injuries on anybody. So the way it's looking now, Cleveland is definitely where they need to be. Like I said, they might fall into the play-in tournament, but they're they're holding steady and strong. So that is very impressive for what they got. And that brings me to uh, a quick plug that I need to put on Twitter uh, to follow up with this podcast episode. Um I just want to mention because of how the Lakers play and everything, and I just mentioned in Cleveland, LeBron James. Is LeBron more likely to win another title in Los Angeles or Cleveland? Because it's interesting to see how Cleveland has formed this team that is contending for the playoffs. And for some reason, 
if LeBron doesn't do well this season and next season, if he would entertain the thought of returning to Cleveland to try to win another championship. Let's be honest, like, I think LeBron loves it there in L.A. It's Hollywood. You know, I'm sure he gets a lot more money off the court there than he would in Cleveland, but he's also chasing championships and trying to, you know, add more chips to his resume for when he retires from the league. And um, Cleveland might look like a legit landing spot for LeBron to revisit and play for a third go-round. That would be interesting to have all those pieces there, you know, to have the point guard, to have the bigs. Uh, I, I would assume that would take some type of pay cut for LeBron to go do that, but you're talking maybe two years away from now. Age 39, LeBron in the offseason for the season that he would turn 40. You never know. I mean, who thought LeBron would be playing at this level at age 37, especially after having that groin injury two seasons ago, the ankle injury oh, last year, and um, just being able to just being able to sustain his greatness and be that type of player that you're still the best player on your team. And most of the time you're the best player on the, on the court on most given nights. So that is just extremely impressive. Like he is really carrying a load here for Cleveland. I mean, looking at this last game, they lost to the Memphis Grizzlies. I can't remember what he had, but he was already up like 20 something points where most of his other teammates were like single digits. I think Russ shot two for twelve. Malik Monk shot three for twelve, which he had uh, some great games prior to this game. And um, you know it's okay to have one bad game, so I might excuse that for him. But it's just kind of ridiculous of how much of an impact LeBron has on the game, and then yet you still have some teammates that don't don't contribute as much. So you know he's always going to entertain that idea, in my opinion, as far as what he can do to put himself in a winning situation. I mean, obviously, like I say, he's still in L.A., so not to dwell on this because this isn't the Western Conference. This is about the East, and it's about Cleveland. So I just wanted to throw that out there as far as a quick plug for LeBron and the way the Cleveland Cavaliers are set up with this young talent that they should at least have this talent for the next several years, uh, whether or not they make a trade. Um, They're going to look to at least keep these guys together next year and build upon this year with what they have. I mean, you even have a core there. I think this is his second year, and you know when he can get fully healthy and have a consistent shooting, I guess you could say, because I think the playing time is there once more. He's another guy who has some playing time, but he needs a little bit more consistency with the shot. If he works on that in the offseason, like Cleveland can definitely get better next, next season uh, for sure. And then, like I said, definitely if they trade Colin Sexton, I don't know what they would trade for, but obviously, you know, he has some value there for other teams. And if Cleveland doesn't need him, then, you know, yeah, do trade him and see if maybe you can do a two-for-one and upgrade somewhere that you, you might need. Maybe you upgrade uh, your shooting guard, move Darius Garland to point guard. I'm not sure. But, uh, yeah, looking at number five. So, actually, let's look at one through five because right now, this is kind of one of my early predictions. I think I did do this in one of the podcasts to start the season. Was where I thought the top four teams would be. Um, not in a particular order, but it's close to the order I had in my head. But I did name the four teams being the Chicago Bulls, the Brooklyn Nets, um, Milwaukee Bucks. And then I think I kind of had a toss up with the Miami Heat and the Philadelphia 76ers. Because I said something about Ben Simmons being healthy or, or something to that extent. So I was like, you know, these are basically the top five teams. But I w- at the time, I was just going over the four teams. But um, but the order is, like I said, Chicago Bulls one, Brooklyn Nets two, Miami Heat third, Milwaukee Bucks fourth, and the Philadelphia 76ers fifth right now. And uh, Philly, with what they're doing without Ben Simmons, man, if they could get the right piece... For Ben Simmons, nothing that's going to overpower what they have, but just kind of compliment, then that's going to be great for them. They're going to be definitely a team to to watch out for just because of how steady they've been right now without a Ben Simmons. Not saying that they desperately need Ben Simmons, but to be missing a big chunk of your team as far as what he at least does outside of scoring when it comes to rebounding, 
and assisting and you know with the playmaking that this is amazing to be this high up and this close to competing for the top seeds in the east so they're doing great and Joel Embiid's missed some time here and there but he's playing his butt off when he does play and uh, Seth Curry's having a heck of a year or at least it was I haven't kept up with the stats here lately but I think he was having a career season uh, at least earlier so I'd I do like what Philly has there, and they're not too far out. So let's go to the Milwaukee Bucks. They're sitting at fourth, and they're only two and a half games back from the Chicago Bulls. And we know, we all know, Giannis missed some time there. So this is nothing as far as a hole that they're in. It's no reflection of how the team is, if they're good or bad. I mean, Brooke Lopez has been hurt basically all season, and Bobby Portis is stepping up and doing a heck of a job there. And you still have, you know, your wing dynamics of uh, Drew Holiday and uh, Chris Middleton. So as long as you have that defense there between them two and then Giannis, I mean, you have a great squad there. So they don't have any really drop-off from last season, in my opinion. You know, you have Dante DiVincenzo, who's coming back. You know, he'll try to get himself back into form after a while. But you have some of those guys off the bench that have stepped up and fill in for uh, the starters like Pat Connaughton. I think um, the Duke dude. Why can't I think of his name right now? That's crazy. The trip guy, Grayson Allen. And I had his uh, face in my head, but uh, Grayson Allen, I think he's been starting most of the season. But now, you know, you kind of see him still staying in that, that role most of the time, I believe. And he's just there for kind of... 3 and D type of guy. Sometimes he has some better nights, but you don't really need him to be a third option uh, most of the time unless people are hurt or injured. So he's just a great filler to have off the bench. You know, kind of like a step up from Wesley Matthews, but I do think they have Wesley Matthews again. They had signed him. And, uh, yeah, like I said, two and a half games back, it's not bad at all for a team who has been – um, depleted of some of their stars. Uh, Chris Middleton also missed some time as well. Um, Drew Holiday just missed a little bit. So they are looking like a team that should be deep in the playoffs again, if not in the finals, to be honest. Like, I'm not sure yet if I want to make that call. We'll see when it comes to All-Star time. If I want to make the call that they'll make it further than the uh, Brooklyn Nets like I did last year. Shout out to the Phil and Lucky Pod because, you know, I was trying to trying to stake my claim there that the Milwaukee Bucks would make it further or that the Brooklyn Nets at least wouldn't make it to the conference finals. And uh, neither one of those teams let me down. (laughs) So uh, I want to go on to the Miami Heat. And I didn't know until I actually made this list that they were third in the East. I I couldn't believe that with Bam being hurt. And he's missed a good chunk of time. Jimmy Butler's missed some time. He's back now. Um... I did like the dynamic, like I said, with adding Kyle Lowry. I said that on a previous podcast. I was like, he's a perfect fit for the mentality of that franchise and how they run that team. Just another guy who's like a dog type of player and who's hungry. Like, if you couldn't get him, it'd be somebody like Pat, Patrick Beverly. But Kyle Lowry has a little bit more versatility when it comes to playmaking. But that defensive intensity, like, that's going to be great for playoffs. That is going to be awesome, and I would not sleep on the Miami Heat. They do have the potential to go back to the finals with what they have. So it's going to be real tight with these type, uh, top five teams, and somebody's going to get cheated out just depending on who they match up with in the uh, in the second round. But I guess a couple teams will get cheated out. Only one can make it out of the East. But, um, yeah, the Miami Heat are very impressive. Um you have Omer Yurtsevin, I think that's how you might pronounce his name, who's filling in for Bam, and I did pick him up in fantasy. If you're playing fantasy and he's available, you need to check him out. The dude's been getting loads of rebounds, and um, he's playing consistent amount of minutes. He's starting, and obviously he's helping to contribute to the wins for the Miami Heat. I mean, two and a half games back from Chicago, a full game back from Brooklyn. You're sitting third in the East. Like, you're in great shape for a team who's still waiting on their other all-star to return. And hopefully Bam does return back healthy uh, when he does get the, get that chance to make it back on the floor. He can stay on the floor. 
Number two, the Brooklyn Nets. So one and a half games back. And obviously another big name, big news over the weekend was the return of Kyrie Irving. And a lot of people talking about how that would affect the team as far as making the team better. Who would have the bigger impact between him and Klay Thompson returning to the Warriors. I mean, obviously the Brooklyn Nets are in need of Kyrie. But you're only getting like 50% of Kyrie. Or 100% of Kyrie 50% of the time. However you want to look at that. He can't play in the home games as of right now. And the way the COVID variant, the Omicron is like... I don't see where Kyrie's going to be able to play the home games. I don't think they're going to lift the rules. Like they've already stated before, they weren't going to make a special exception for him. That was the state law. And I don't know what this does to the dynamic. Obviously, you know how to play with Kyrie in the regular season. But like I said, when it comes to playoffs, it's a seven-game series. It's the best of seven. So teams are going to try to figure out things. They're going to know that, hey, Kyrie's not available for home games. In away games, you know, you might have, you might be able to win the first round. You know, if you're out scoring the other team, like you have way more talent. But when it starts hitting the second and third rounds, like it, it, you know, it starts depending more and more on coach decisions the further you get into and or that one veteran guy that really knows uh, what to do down the stretch because of the, um, the experience he has in the playoffs. I mean, Kyrie does have that with playing with LeBron, obviously. Um, Kevin Durant would definitely be that guy with all the finals appearances he's made in his career. But um, having Kyrie miss time is just as important as Kyrie being there for the team. Like I said, that dynamic, you still have to work with the team chemistry and as far as your rotation uh, when you can. And... It's good because Kyrie would have fresh legs when he does play away, unless it's like a back-to-back away games. But in general, you know, it's almost like a different form of load management uh, just because of protocols that he's not playing all the games. So hopefully, if as long as he doesn't get injured, you know, those away games, he should be in near-peak-to-peak performance so that maybe can help you rest the other two guys between James Harden and uh, Kevin Durant at times, not rest them like the whole game, but like to rest them, you know, a little bit longer as far as not stretching out to 40 plus minutes. I think this last game, they just played the San Antonio Spurs at home. And obviously Kyrie didn't play. James Harden played 44 minutes. And in the playoffs, you know, your superstar players do play. Uh, a lot more minutes because usually the longer they're on the court, the better your chances are winning the game. But sometimes that eventually does catch up to you. But 44 minutes in the regular season, I mean, because these younger guys, you know, they they live for the regular season because they have the legs for it. They can play those back-to-backs. They can give you all they got because they want to big, beat the big-name teams, the big superstars. They're not worried about the pace of the whole season. There, every game is, you know, every game is like a playoff game, especially against the the bigger teams, the bigger name teams. So, you know, it it did take forty four minutes for the Nets to pull off that win, and each win is important. So, you know, if he didn't play that and they lost, you know, you're talking that. I'm not sure who has a tiebreaker between them and Miami, but they could have been in third after that. So, you know, it is value there with James Harden being able to play that amount of minutes, but you don't want to keep having to do that. But the way it looks, it's like, well, what do you do? Kyrie's not there. And if they're not training Kyrie because, you know, he's buddies with Durant and Harden, then you've got to deal with that the way they've been dealing with it. But I still think that is something that will affect team chemistry, which is what I was predicting last year would be a problem as far as why they wouldn't make the finals last year. I was like, you know, it's first year. They're going to have some team chemistry things because of, experimenting with not only rotation but who's shooting the ball the last you know shot the last minute who's making the plays and taking the blame and whatnot but right now it's totally different form and team chemistry but it's still something to deal with and if the other teams have their stuff situated they can exploit this in their advantage to make it to where they definitely know how to win games 
against uh, the Brooklyn Nets when they do have Kyrie and when they don't have Kyrie. So that doesn't take away from the talent that James Harden and Kevin Durant has at all. And I do like what Patty Mills have been doing, stepping up uh, in a lot of those games before Kyrie made his return. Because it had to be somebody else. Nick Claxton is doing pretty well, you know, as far as serving as their uh, probably their best quality big. Now, um, you have do have LaMarcus Aldridge kind of helping with some of the scoring load there. But um, overall, you have Nick Claxton there. And then I think with him being so young, when it comes to playoffs, that's why they have Paul Millsap. So you're not seeing a lot of Paul Millsap now. But you're talking about, let's say in this scenario, uh, which right now sounds very unrealistic. They're playing the Lakers in the finals. We know Paul Millsap can kind of at times lock up LeBron, or at least for a little bit there. And, um, you know, that's what he will provide for that team, uh, you know, not just against, you know, the Lakers or something like that or, or waiting till the finals. But anytime in the playoffs, if the, if the matchup is favorable for them to put in Paul Millsap, he can guard a small forward, a power forward as well, and be able to um, just play defense to help uh, alleviate some of the pressure of the other guys on that end so they can focus more on scoring, so... That's the dynamic of their team. But like I said, with Kyrie returning, it's definitely going to help them in the regular season for the games that they do play on the road with Kyrie. But it's still something they got to figure out in the playoffs, and it could come back and bite them. And that's not their fault. I uh, don't want to blame Kyrie because, you know, he's entitled to his opinion as far as whether or not he wants to get vaccinated. And um, as long as he's being safe, that's that's only thing I really care about as far as personally what he does. Um, between getting vaccinated and not getting vaccinated. You know, he's not a guy that's actually out here spreading COVID to the rest of his teammates or telling them, why did you get, why did you get the vaccination? Like, don't do that type of thing. So, you know, everything right now is his business and that's cool, but it does affect the team. So just being realistic there. And let's go to number one to, uh, I guess, wrap up this episode because it is getting kind of late and I'm not going to do the east or the west just going to finish up the east here so i can get some rest so the east number one standings chicago bull like i said 26 and 11 and man was i wrong in the off season when i was kind of like okay they have DeRozan. they they got DeRozan to go with uh, zach levine and actually, it started last season when they traded for Vucevic because I was so agitated that the Boston Celtics didn't get Vucevic. And I was thinking like, okay, this is an experiment. At least they have something to build off of. And if it doesn't work, they'll probably trade him uh, next season if they don't trade him in the offseason just to kind of free up that cap space. But somehow they were able to uh, get DeMar DeRozan. And I was like, okay, well, you got two wing scorers there. DeRozan doesn't like to shoot a lot of threes. Zach Levine could shoot some threes, but who's your primary scorer there? Or unless they learn how to share the ball. But then once they brought in Lonzo Ball, that's kind of when I was like, you know what? Lonzo, and then followed by Alex Caruso, I was like, I like that dynamic. Because you're bringing in Lonzo as a starting point guard, but you're not changing his game. You're not putting him like the Pelicans did, where they kind of want him to be one of the main scoring options. Like, the dude can shoot threes now. He has a better shot selection or a better shot release or form than he used to, but he's a guy, his game is always predicated on making plays for others. It's not a score first type of mentality. And I think when the Lakers drafted him, they were looking for that other type of mentality. I'm like, this dude wants to run with somebody down the court. He wants to find the open guy. He wants to see what the others don't see, what the defense doesn't see. Unpredictable. And I love the fit here. And I thought, that was going to be key there. And then, like I said, they brought in Alex Caruso as well. So it was like, man, this guy is going to be great off the bench with this defense. And he could just be that spark plug when they're down. But, yeah, the the only doubt I had was really um, Zach Levine and DeMar. I, I just didn't know how much of a clash that would be. Not saying they would lose a bunch of games, but just not being as great as they are. But, man, I am shocked and blown away. And after the season got started, I think when I did the last podcast or two, I mentioned something about can the Chicago Bulls have four all-stars between Vucevic and DeMar DeRozan, Lonzo Ball, and Zach Levine. But, you know, with them being a number one record, that's the reason why, because of 
them having that uh, that talent and being more uh, notarized out there in the in the public eye, where people would want to vote for the names uh, that they're seeing more often. The Lonzo Ball with the highlights, the DeMar DeRozan obviously with the game winners now, the Zach Levine because he's doing Zach Levine stuff. You know he's a he's a highlight reel, and Nikola Vucevic just being a, a great big guy who's still. I think he's still averaging a double-double, but ultimately it looks like they'll probably end up with two All-Stars as of right now between Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan, but DeMar's in the MVP conversation, and he has a right to be. I mean, those game winners, that's no joke, and the points he's putting up and the record, I mean, that's what you want, and if voters have voter fatigue as far as voting for previous people who've had, uh, who's already gotten the uh, MVP, I mean, DeMar is definitely going to be somebody that they're going to definitely consider if he keeps this up because it's a fresh face. It's a it's a fresh take of, you know what, let's vote for this guy because he was an underdog for his most of his career, if not all of his career. And he has a resurgence uh, with the Chicago Bulls after having a couple seasons under his belt with the San Antonio Spurs going back to the East. Like, the whole narrative there, it's a good storyline. Like, the last time he was in the East, LeBron was in the East. And we know what happened to DeMar and the Raptors every time they went up against LeBron. They lost. They lost the series. I mean, that was the time they were number one in the East. And LeBron was, like, fourth. But it didn't matter because LeBron just cleaned up. I think they won one game in that last series. But, you know, he's back in the East. And LeBron's out there. So it's almost like a double narrative there of how great DeMar is and how great LeBron is if the Chicago Bulls were to make it to the finals and and not have that road blockage of LeBron there. But, um, but I mean, we can't say that because LeBron's definitely not in the East right now. But if the Chicago Bulls pull this off and make it to the finals, like, you know, that's just a big resurgence for Chicago Bulls fans. And, you know, obviously, you know, they'll be thinking of like the MJ era. Right now, I think we're getting vibes of the Derrick Rose era in Chicago where, you know, that was a major thing because they were definitely a playoff contending team that had hopes for their future. And DeMar being that veteran, but Zach Levine being that younger guy, and then Lonzo Ball being that young guy, and then them having a solid big, like, they have that formula now. And, you hear a lot of guys like uh, Michael Wilbon, who is from Chicago on ESPN, talking about like you know they have a GM now, which is you know if you watch the Last Dance, that you know that's what their GM back then was talking about. Like you know he was a little cocky, a little arrogant, but so was Michael Jordan as well. But when he was talking about you know the players don't make the teams, the the GMs make the teams. But it's obviously a combination of both because you got to scout the talent, then the talent has to perform. At a certain at the level that you expect them to perform, but to have a GM that would put this amount of talent together, like that's that's what happened here. Like we knew what these players are capable of, but obviously to make it work, you need to have great coaching. But in order to have these things available to you, it's the GM doing their job. Like this is like some NBA 2K stuff as far as like how to get these players on the same roster between the salaries with Vucevic, uh, Levine, and uh, DeMar. And then you add Lonzo and Caruso, and you, you didn't lose Kobe White. Like You traded away Laurie Marketing, who wasn't really that valuable to you last year anyway after you made the move, but you opened up space to make this great team by trading him away. Like That's, that's excellent GMing because... Everything you've done has paid off at this moment. And like right now, the only thing blocking them, in my opinion, as far as them being definitely top four seed, top three seed, is just health. But like I said, we've seen different players go out. And then with the Chicago Bulls, we've seen Zach Levine out. We've seen Lonzo out. We've seen DeMar out. Caruso is still out. He has an injury. And then he, and then he has COVID protocols as well. But to have this team still stay on top like that, and then when Zach Levine was still out and DeMar came back, like, you're, this is just a great dynamic. They're focused. They're hungry. They have all the right pieces. They have all the right build. And they're able to sustain when everybody's not there together. And then when everybody is there together, they're able to pull off great team chemistry, great energy. 
and their home crowd is going to go wild because they've been waiting for the opportunity to get back into finals forever, and it feels like they've been cursed. So they are rooting for them. They're definitely always going to be an underdog for the whole season, it seems like, but at the same time be favorites as well. It's like a weird dynamic that is great to have um, from a fan's perspective and I'm sure from a player's perspective to, to be both at the same time, to be okay on top, but you're yet an underdog because you don't have Kevin Durant or you don't have a former MVP on your team. Um, so kind of like how the Milwaukee Bucks were last year. You know, just to be that great and to have the right pieces, but to be able to do something with it and make great push. Like, if the Chicago Bulls make it to the finals, like, I don't know. I guess it depends on who they're playing. They're playing the Warriors. That's going to be an interesting matchup. That's definitely going to be interesting. Uh, Anybody else they might be able to handle? I don't know. Uh, The West is going to be a whole different story. The West is always a shakeup. It's always going to take that one extra guy that has that boost in the playoffs. Like we know what the West can bring with the Warriors, but you know, just to give you a little preview of what we might get into. I mean, the Phoenix Suns, they're looking to get back. The Utah Jazz hasn't been there in a long time. And especially with the squad they have now, it's all about health with these guys. And they've grown over the last several seasons, never lost anything as far as player personnel. So that, that's great there. Um, so it's definitely going to be interesting as far as what they what they got. So um, let's let's just see what what happens there. But Chicago, you know, definitely congrats if you're a Chicago Bulls fan, and um, you know the time has come where this might be your year to to celebrate and to take advantage of any situations that may happen along the way. So like I said, I'm finishing up this. This is um, you know the first podcast for. 2022 and uh this is not the year two yet because i started podcasts uh around all-star weekend so that would be maybe season two however we're going to do that but um we do have the second part of this episode coming hopefully soon i might record these back to back so like i said i might record this and get this out first and then record the western conference side and and get that out but um it's definitely been great to get back on here and like I said, just been busy making content on YouTube. So definitely you can go check that out. This podcast will not be on YouTube, but the sneaker content is definitely on YouTube. And uh, I would also tweet out that LeBron James uh, tweet as well that I said about LeBron more likely to win a title in LA or Cleveland. So look for that. Um, if you're not following us, it's at KishYZ, K-I-S-H underscore YZ. Uh, the same for Instagram. But on Instagram, I don't put as much basketball anymore unless it's related to my sneaker content. And that's where I'm telling people that if you're watching the sneakers and you want to know how to style the videos, because I'm kind of going over the unboxing and how I would wear it, then you can also go to Instagram to see the photos of me wearing those uh, sneakers to just give you a little bit of inspiration or just, you know, or if you're just curious to see how I'm wearing it in general, even if you're not getting the shoe, you know, definitely check that out. But yeah, Spotify and Anchor.fm, wherever you're listening to this podcast, I'm going to try to do this at least once every two weeks, according to how I have my new schedule set up. But uh, it'd be sooner for this next episode. Hopefully, I can go like back-to-back days for this. So if I can cut these shorter, maybe I can get them out once a week. But like I said, I'm just trying to restructure everything so I don't leave this out like I have been because I do have a small audience for this and I'm here to serve you because I do like talking about basketball and I've written stuff down, but it's been outdated. So uh, I have to do a different form of catch up and start over. And I hate doing that because I have ideas, but then it changes when records or people get hurt or anything like that. So everybody, thank you for kicking it in the second half. And I hope to uh, get you that next episode out here pretty soon. So everybody, enjoy your day and your night, and thanks for listening. Peace and love. Mm